Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Cowboys Wire podcast. I think we're getting spoiled with this Cowboys team, right? Three straight wins, very nearly a 4-0 football team right now, coming off a pretty solid three-phase win over the Panthers. I don't think there was a ton, a ton to nitpick. They were pretty good in all three phases. I mean... How you feeling about the squad right now? Yeah, if we have complaints, it is definitely picking nits uh, because this team is playing outstanding right now. And it's something that, uh, you know, I talked about it last week, that those who were close to the team, those who cover it, fans, you know, not the casual fans, but the fans that are really, really in tune with everything that's going on with the team, kind of had this feeling that this team could be good, much better than what you saw based on preseason power rankings and the lack of respect that they've had pretty much the entire uh, offseason about what their capabilities were. I don't think anybody imagined it to feel this good. And that's just the general sense around Cowboys Nation right now is that everybody is having fun. And, you know, when you have millions or millions of people, it's very hard to get everybody to get along. But right now, <laughs> the whole fan base is getting along, enjoying this run that the Cowboys have been on. Um, they're not perfect, which is actually a good thing. Because I think uh, the coaching staff has the ability that even though everybody's in a good mood, they have plenty of things that they can improve upon during their week of practice. So I think it gives the coaching staff the ability to kind of, you know, stay on the guys and get them going. Uh, You never want to peak early in the season. Uh, So, you know, you want to be careful of that. There are, you know, 17 games in this year right now. We're not even to the quarter pole. I talked about that on Twitter. I miss saying through a quarter of a season uh, after four weeks, but it is what it is right now. Exactly right. Uh, yeah, but, but the team is looking very good. And I think it's just, it's beautiful to see all of the things that people have kind of been down about. No longer, they, they can no longer complain about that. You can't talk about Dak. You can't say Ezekiel Elliott is washed because he's leading the league. He has 5.3 yards per carry. Um, you can't talk about the defensive tackles because they're playing outstanding. Uh, Osa Odigizu with the rookie. Um, the, the, they're not great on defense, but they're opportunistic. And in this past game, not only did they get the interceptions because Trayvon Diggs is just an absolute monster, but now they're also getting pressure on the quarterback. And they had five sacks in this last game against Carolina. They're, you know, lackluster offensive line. They're not a good offensive line. It's shocking that they haven't been sacked more often this year. But the Cowboys took care of that where other teams couldn't. So it's very promising all of the things that are in place right now to eventually be a team that can be competitive once the playoffs roll around. Dak's only been sacked seven times all year, which when you – factor in the stuff that's happened on the offensive line and the injuries and guys being in and out like yeah no it's amazing he just sacked Sam Darnold five times when you think about it on Sunday so yeah, it's ridiculous yeah you're right we're always here there's always something to bitch about with the Cowboys Katie I'm trying to f- go through my notes and find something to bitch about I have nothing so I was thinking about it when I was dropping my kid off to school today when was the last time the Cowboys nation felt this good about this team and when you when you think back about it 
you know, 2018, they didn't start off well. They made the playoffs. They ended up going 10 and 6. They, you know, ended up, um, you know, defeating the Seattle Seahawks for a playoff victory. Then they lost to the Rams. But that season didn't start off great. They lost the first game, won the second game, lost the third game, won the fourth game, lost the fifth game. I mean, they were back and forth, back and forth. They actually started off the year three and five, ended up trading for, for Amari Cooper uh, over the bye week. So that clearly wasn't the same kind of enthusiasm for a season that, that we're having right now. Then you go back to 2016 when they have a, had a spectacular season. They ended up 13 to three, but that entire season was more so the disappointment of losing Tony Romo in the preseason. And then just kind of the debate among the fan base on whether or not Romo should get his job back, kind of, it, 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 it's hard to call that a cloud, but it definitely dampened the enthusiasm over what we were seeing. Nobody really believed it. We were being led by two rookies, Dak Prescott and Zico Elliott, for having outstanding rookie campaigns, but there was still the overhanging cloud, I guess I have to call it a cloud, yep. of whether or not Tony Romo was going to get his job back. But this year in 2021, it's just an incredible feeling where everything seems to be hitting on all cylinders. Dak Prescott is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Back in 2016, he was a bus driver while Ezekiel Elliott in the run game and the offensive line was getting all of the kudos. Now it's Dak doesn't have to be as great as he's capable of being, but you know it's there. He only passed for 180-something yards on Sunday, four touchdowns. I mean, just an immaculate stat line that's reminiscent to how the Cowboys used to win back in the 90s. Ezekiel Elliott had his uh, season high 143 yards, best game in a couple of seasons. But he's been strong all year. The defense being opportunistic, the way that Trevon Diggs is playing, everything that they're getting out of Michael Parsons. It feels like this is a Cowboys team that has the requisite stars to do something. But look at how many people are missing right now. No Michael Gallup, no Leo Collins, no Tank Lawrence, best defender on the team still. A lot of people are missing. Their second-round rookie, Kelvin Joseph, hasn't suited up yet. This team is showing that they have the depth necessary to go through an entire season. And when all of those guys get back and they can really truly play at their pinnacle, this feels like a promising team that is much better than we've seen in a very, very long time. And you were tweeting about it, too. It's, it's a team worth buying into because the NFC is still kind of feels wide open, right? The Rams got trucked by Arizona. Uh, the Bucks yep. don't they don't look like they're in Super Bowl form anymore. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's going to be some jockeying for position in the NFC and where Dallas fits in that is going to be really interesting as we go forward. And I want to talk a little bit about the offense. You're talking about Dak, Katie, like, yeah, 116.9 passer rating, fourth best in the league. The athleticism is obviously still there. He's kind of showing it in flashes. I mean, that second drive after after that three and out to start the uh, the game, first and 20, terrible snap. Dak pins it down on the ground with one hand, picks it up, scrambles for 15 yards, right? Cowboys go on and score a touchdown on that drive. That drive easily could have blown up if that snap, if he just dives on that snap. Now it's second and 22 or something. Like, forget about it. You're probably throwing a screen and punting. No, Dak picks that ball up, scrambles, makes something. They don't go, go down and score. I thought that was just kind of, he's flashing that athleticism again. He's back, clearly. And, I mean, how yep. do you defend this team? I, I, they're clearly one of the most efficient in the league. You're talking about Dak, I mean... The last three games, he hasn't even attempted more than 27 passes, right? Since that that week one where he's slinging it 58 times against Tampa. No more than 27 passes in a game since week one, KD. And he's efficient. I think it's been, what, seven touchdowns, one interception. They're scoring. They're winning games. And it's not all on the quarterback. It's on the running backs. This Zeke Pollard one-two punch has been great. They're averaging 5.9 yards per carry. 
Uh, the wide receivers obviously are elite. Just wait till Amari Cooper's feeling good, right? And the tight ends, I love what they're doing there. You got Kellen Moore spitting the dial. Like, how do you defend the Cowboys right now? I have, no, I don't think defenses even have a clue, and Carolina had a tough time. Dak Prescott has attempted 48 passes in the last two games, and the Cowboys have scored 77 points. It's amazing. That, that's just, that, that's amazing. That's, that's utterly amazing that they're able to get this kind of efficiency. Now, okay, fine. You take away the points that Trevon did scored on his pick six against the Eagles, fine. You do that, they've scored 70-plus points still. So it's just an incredible amount of offense that they're being able to display right now. Kellen Moore is absolutely in his bag, the way that he can deploy all of these weapons. Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, uh, they are the first Cowboys duo to have 250 yards each on the ground through the first four games. The legendary Gil Brandt uh, came up with that stat. Well, Gil Brandt's staff came up with that stat. <laughs> and said it. Um, but, but it's just, it's incredible. And as you mentioned, Amari Cooper isn't healthy. He cracked his rib in week one. He's been hampered since. He left a drive in this game because his hamstring wasn't working well. Haven't seen Michael Gallup since week one. CeeDee Lamb has been up and down as far as his usage. He was barely targeted. Um, I believe he only had two or three catches this past game, barely, um, you know, minimal yardage. As you said, the tight ends are there. Dalton Schultz is TE1. Blake Jarwin, who's supposed to be TE1, is now a complimentary piece. But he scored on, on Sunday. They have so many weapons. Cedric Wilson, the fourth receiver, he scored in two straight games. Um, it's just it's an amazing amount of weaponry that Dak Prescott has at his disposal. I should say Kellen Moore has at his disposal. Um, and Dak is just being surgical right now. Uh, the, the Carolina defense was very strong through the first half of the game. And then they got to a point in the third quarter. They came out of halftime. They were just like, you know, screw this. We're, we're so much better than this. And they just turned it on. I was watching the red zone. You know, the red zone at the end of all of the games um, when they're doing their wrap-up shows, they go through and they do a montage of every single touchdown that's scored in the NFL. And it's a good five minutes worth of scoring uh, based on all of the slate of games. There were 10 early games for uh, the NFL in week four, 10 of them, which means 20 teams. When the Cowboys, from the, from the time the Cowboys scored their first third quarter touchdown to the time that they scored their third to win the quarter 20 to nothing, they scored three touchdowns. The rest of the NFL combined scored three touchdowns over the same period of time. The other 19 teams only scored three times during the time that the Cowboys scored three. There's no offense like it. And I know everybody wants to say, you know, we know what they can do in Kansas City. We know what they can do in Buffalo. Kansas City's been doing it for the last three-plus years. Buffalo's been doing it for a year and a half. But I would challenge any of them to go player for player and say that they match up better when it comes to weaponry that, that the Cowboys do. Kansas City doesn't have two running backs that anybody is fearing the way that people are fearing the Cowboys. Their wide receivers don't go nearly as deep. Sure, they have Travis Kelsey, but it's Travis Kelsey, Tariq Hill, and who else? Buffalo is deep. They have, you know, Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders to go along with Stephon Diggs. Sure. But their running backs, are you comparing them to Elliott or Pollard? No, not at all. I would put Dak Prescott right there in the next level, right behind Patrick Mahomes again because of the longevity. But Josh Allen didn't start the year all great. So I would put Dak Prescott up there with him, uh, you know, comparatively speaking about who you would want under center if you had your choice of all the NFL quarterbacks. You can't compete with this Cowboys offense. I have no idea how defenses are going to be able to, to withstand that onslaught. Now, the Cowboys aren't going to do this for 17 weeks. There are going to be games on this schedule where they stub their toe. It could happen this week against New York. I don't think it will. We'll talk about that later on in the show. Yep. But it could happen where they stub their toe against anybody that's familiar with them or even just somebody that bubbles up on that day. 
But week in, week out, you have to feel confident that the Cowboys are going to perform on offense better than what their than what their opposition does, and that's a beautiful place to be in for a team. Oh man, I have a I have a huge man crush on Josh Allen, but yeah, it's it's going to be hard for me to take a lot of guys over Dak right now because he's just so efficient. I mean, how do you th- how do you complete fourteen passes in a game, Katie, and finish with four touchdowns and you know, like one hundred and thirty passer rating? It's ridiculous. He's being they're so efficient. It is, it is ridiculous. Yeah, so efficient. But I did find one thing to nitpick. The one little thing from this game against Carolina we can nitpick on. Ezekiel Elliott touched on it in his post game. Let's cover that here coming up next. This is the typical sports book fantasy minute. Let's make this interesting. interesting. Hello, fantasy faithful. Welcome to week five of the fantasy football season. I'm Corey Benini of thehuddle.com. Here to bring you strong play. Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins versus the Detroit Lions. While statistically this actually ranks as just the 20th best matchup for quarterbacks, much of that is due to facing San Francisco and Chicago. Detroit gave up over 24 fantasy points to Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers, and Cousins should benefit from a healthier Dalvin Cook to keep the defense focused off of the passing attack. Also working in his favor, Detroit lost arguably its best pass rusher this past week, and Kirk Cousins has gone for three touchdowns or more in three of his last four games versus the Lions. Atlanta Falcons running back Mike Davis versus the New York Jets. Cordero Patterson has received all of the hype, and rightfully so, but Davis has managed to remain a weekly play. It hasn't been pretty, and he hasn't been explosive, but what better time to bring in a Jets defense that has given up 111.8 rushing yards per game, that's the seventh most, eight catches, the second most, and 72 yards to the air, also the second most, to the running back position. One in every 22.2 touches by RBs have made it into the end zone. Miami Dolphins wide receiver Jalen Waddle at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We could see tons of short passes to Waddle against Tampa Bay if the Buccaneers can pressure Jacoby Brissett heavily. Last week we saw signs of the Buccaneers pass rush coming to life. In week four, Waddle saw only four targets, but he had 12 passes come his way the prior week against a very capable Las Vegas pass rush. More pressure could equal shorter passes to get the ball out of the hands faster for Jacoby Brissett. Noel Fuller also means more work for Jalen Waddle. Despite all of Tampa's injuries in the secondary, the existing personnel actually matches up fairly well with the wide receivers from Miami. Look for Waddle to be used as a quasi-running back in this game. Cincinnati Bengals tight end C.J. Ozoma against the Green Bay Packers. He was a two-touchdown performer last week and has only a minor role, but he gets a chance to show it wasn't a fluke against a defense that has allowed averages of over six catches a game, 56 yards per game, and a touchdown every eight and a quarter catches to the position. This is the number seven overall matchup in PPR, number eight in standard scoring, and Green Bay's secondary and linebacking core will really be scraping at the bottom of the barrel to provide adequate depth after several injuries in both layers. While there's a lot of fluidity about the personnel situation, what is static? Green Bay stinks at guarding tight ends. For more fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please check out the award-winning huddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with the huddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Katie. So after the game, Zeke talked about in some colorful language that will let Zeke, you know, I don't know if that's, that's suitable for our program. But do you think the Cowboys need a lesson in putting opponents away, right? So they lead this game 36-14 entering the fourth quarter or early in the fourth quarter. And Darnold and the Panthers were able to kind of pull within a score rather easily, right? Like Darnold pretty clean after the Cowboys were all over him in that first half. Like Randy Gregory, two sacks in the first half. I think Micah Parsons got there early in the second half. But fourth quarter, Sam Darnold had some time. His receivers were running wide open. Whether he could hit him or not, they were running wide open down the field. And they scored two touchdowns pretty easily, get to within eight. And yeah, the offense grinds it out on the ground like they're supposed to, pick up a couple first downs, and the game run out the clock. But, you know, one stupid holding penalty or something, and you never know. Carolina might get that ball back with like a minute left, no timeouts, and you know, all of a sudden we got to take our feet off the coffee table, sit back on the edge of the seat, and watch the end of the game, right? This game's been over. But the Carolina squeaked their way in. Do you agree with Zeke that the Cowboys... You know, they're they're kind of figuring out how to win. They're getting really good at it now. But now it's like you can't let teams hang around when you got a chance. You got an offense like the Cowboys do. Right. You you can't like let your foot off the gas and let these teams hang because all of a sudden you have a situation where we're going to talk about the Giants here. Got a situation where New Orleans up 11 in the fourth quarter. Let the Giants come back and win in overtime. You don't you don't want that seeping into your game. Yeah, that's 100 percent correct. And we saw glimpses of it last week. I, I said it before. The Cowboys aren't a great defense yet. They are opportunistic. They can get sacked yeah. occasionally. Um, I, I won't say that what they did against Carolina, we should expect that every week because that hasn't been what they've shown us so far. They haven't been able to put it all together. We see glimpses of it. The Cowboys are one of those teams that they can play good in spurts, and they're trying to figure out how to play good all the time. Trevon Diggs is a perfect example. People are comparing him, saying he's their best cornerback since Deion Sanders. What Trevon Diggs is doing right now is so inspiring. The man is a ball magnet. But he is basically, he's the epitome of this defense right now. He will give up plays. He will will give up yardage and coverage. And then he will make the big play that kind of negates anything bad that has happened. But the bad stuff still happens. The Cowboys, in order to be a championship-level defense, they want to be a team that doesn't have those bad things happen. They raised out to a 27-point lead, I think, against Philadelphia, and Philadelphia scored the final touchdown of the game in the fourth quarter, three minutes or so left on the, on the clock. They had a 22-point lead against Carolina. Carolina scores two fourth-quarter touchdowns to make it a one-score game, where, as you said, the Cowboys have to milk the clock for the final four minutes in order to uh, secure the victory. These are things that they're going to have to get better at, but again, they are doing it with a lot of players that probably would not be getting that much playing time in any other situation. Uh, once DeMarcus Lawrence comes back for the second half of the season, you have guys that are getting run right now that aren't going to be getting that many snaps. You're probably going to get better play. I don't know if it's going to be immediate, but when Kelvin Joseph comes back, I think he eventually takes over for Anthony Brown opposite Trevon Diggs because he just has more talent than what Anthony Brown does. Anthony Brown isn't playing a horrible year, but he is getting caught with some monumental mistakes. He's given up 24 receptions, over 300 yards in coverage. Um, and, and basically what happened in the game against Carolina is Trevon Diggs got hurt. He got hurt. Uh, his back was tight. They said that if it was a more crucial game, he could have came back in and played and he would have played through it. But they felt like with a 22-point lead in the fourth quarter, they could be a little bit cautious, take him out of the game, get him some early rest. 
because he did just play, you know, two games in six days. The Cowboys had just played on Monday night, so it made sense. But the Cowboys secondary clearly isn't capable of playing well without Trevon Diggs. So Carolina was able to take advantage of that. Anthony Brown dropped an interception. He got abused on a 50-yard pass. Uh, Maurice Kennedy is just, we had hopes for him in the preseason and in training camp, but he clearly is not what we thought he was based on how he looks in training camp. He's getting abused out there. So the Cowboys have holes that they still have to worry about filling in order to be the type of team that they want to. I'm not really disappointed in the offense taking their foot off the pedal. I know I, I'd love to hear what Zeke said, and he was all-inclusive. He wasn't just picking on the defense. He was saying the whole team needs to learn how to finish better. But I'm not really worried about the offense not doing, you know, whatever was necessary in the fourth quarter until that final drive. That's just – that's kind of the ebb and flow. A defense can't give up 14 points in the fourth quarter in any game, in any scenario, in any way, shape, or form. Right. So I put that on the defense kind of taking their foot off the pedal. Um, that's going to be the recipe to lose games more often than not. You're more often than not going to have a 22-point lead that you can withstand giving up two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter. So they have to fix that. But again, this goes back to my earlier point. The Cowboys are playing great, but they're giving the coaching staff something to harp on when they get to practice. They can be, excuse my friends, they can be on their players' asses when it comes to how they performed in the fourth quarter and just ride them the entire week of practice to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Oh, you're feeling yourself? You're on the sidelines celebrating? Everybody's slapping backs and laughing and everything? Look what happens when you don't pay attention to the job in front of you. And I think the Cowboys will eventually get that cleared up, but it has to be done by the time they get to the playoffs. Trayvon goes out with the back, and all of a sudden, it was abuse, right? It was abuse. <laughs> the Panthers were abusing the yeah. Cowboys in that secondary. It's so true. Guys were wide open. Uh, but yeah, I mean... You, you, we were talking before we started recording today, Katie, about a guy like Chauncey Golston, right? Uh, defensive yep. end, played a ton in this game. He was one of the leading tacklers in this game. Uh, had a half a sack. Uh, but, you know, how much is he playing if Demarcus Lawrence is healthy? Who knows, right? Probably not that much. So he's a guy that kind of right. stood out to you, right? A lot of guys playing that we probably weren't expecting back in the summer. But, you know, they're in there. They're holding their own. And the Cowboys, you know, they're a couple plays away from being 4-0. and So, again... You know, there's nothing to bitch about, really. At the end of the day, this is this is my nitpick of the day, but it wasn't that big a nitpick, right? I mean, they found a way to win it. I, I made this point on Twitter earlier. That we, you know, people are commenting because uh, third round rookie Osa Odigizua playing out of his mind, uh, three technique. He well, he plays all up and down the defensive line. He plays everywhere in Dan Quinn's defense, but he wasn't even going to be the star of this defensive line on the interior. That was supposed to be Neville Gallimore. If you listen to what Dan Quinn said and the rest of the coaching staff throughout the offseason. Neville Gallimore was going to make the second year jump. That's what everybody was saying. They were raving about how he looks in practice. Nobody was mentioning Osa Odigizua. So if you're seeing a guy who, if it wasn't for Michael Parsons, would be in competition for defensive rookie of the year because he has more pressures, Michael Parsons and Osa Odigizua lead all rookies in defensive pressures so far in the NFL. This is the guy that's supposed to be third string for the Cowboys because he's supposed to be behind Neville Gallimore and Tristan Hill. So when Gallimore gets back, when Demarcus Lawrence gets back, that pass rush that we saw get five sacks yesterday, maybe that becomes their norm once they get more bodies back. And it doesn't just have to be against a bad interior offensive line like what Carolina presents. They're, um, it's not even just our interior. They're bad across the board. Um, but maybe the Cowboys can do that against a better offensive line where they have better horses out there. And then that, in turn, makes the secondary's job easier. And if you throw in Kelvin Joseph, uh, in addition to what Trevon Diggs is doing, then maybe you start to see the glimpses of a team that can win 
withholding opponents under 20 points once in a while as opposed to what they've been able to do so far this season. Well, the good news when you're trying to hold opponents under 20, KD, is uh, you're playing the Giants this week, uh, a team that they barely ever score 20 points. So that's that's a good sign, right? But, <laughs> you know, hey, there is a certain offensive coordinator over there that I know you're scared of, and you give this offensive coordinator, um, the guy currently with the Giants right now, more credit than most that, that I see on Twitter, and I follow lots of Cowboys and Giants guys. So I want to get your take on this matchup, and if you're scared of the offensive coordinator over there in New York, uh, and we'll do that coming up next. This is the Typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. Hello, I'm Esther McLaren of Bet Slippin' Podcast and SportsbookWire.com here with my colleague Jeff Clark to break down the Week 5 Sunday night football matchup between the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are two-and-a-half-point home favorites, minus 122 odds. The Bills, plus 2.5, minus 102. I'm really on the Chiefs here. They've had the much tougher schedule of the Bills. I think the Bills might be a little bit too used to playing cupcake opponents and the Chiefs handled the Bills twice last season, including the AFC Championship game. This is a very manageable number for them. They're in the thick, or they're in the bottom of the AFC West. They need to start piling up the wins. The Bills are in cruise control atop the AFC East. Give me Kansas City. Jeff? Yeah, I'm going with the Buffalo Bills, plus two and a half. Speaking of cupcake schedules, the Bills definitely play a cupcake schedule, but I don't think they're going to play an easier defense all season, the Kansas City Chiefs. They have more balance. They're better on both sides of the ball. Uh, they got a higher EPA differential, and I'm going to go with the Bills, plus two and a half, and might even sprinkle a little bit on the dog's money line here. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with the huddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at typical sportsbook. For a limited time, new typical sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typical.com for terms and conditions 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey 1-800-522 four seven zero zero in Colorado just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left listen to where secrets go to die the disappearance of Derek Hennigan from the Detroit Free Press a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula available on Apple Spotify Freep.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, third straight home game for the Cowboys, which is kind of sweet. This one, 425 kickoff, big division game with the New York football Giants, KD, who last week I uh, wrote them off. I said their season was over last week with uh, Dan Benton of the Giants Wire. Oh, they were done. 0-3 with the schedule they had coming up at New Orleans, at Dallas. Forget it. Season's over. Oh, what'd they do? Down 11, 12 minutes to play. Daniel Freakin' Jones. Brings it back and they win the game in New Orleans. How the hell did that happen? I still don't know, but good for the Giants. Uh, they win a big game. And uh, what do you think about this? The Cowboys home, six and a half point favorites on Tipico. That's a big spread for a tough division game, but the Giants are a tough team to predict. You never know what you're going to get with the Giants. They tend to play up to their competition, as we saw last week and the week before when they played down to Atlanta and lost to the Falcons. So you never know what you're going to get with the Giants. But again, they have this offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, who tends to know the Cowboys very well. Now, most Cowboys fans and Giants fans will tell you Jason Garrett blows and he has terrible game plans, and his play calling sucks. But, Katie, I know in the past you have defended Jason Garrett. You've been one the one person to say nice things about Garrett. So I want to know, 
Are you nervous at all about Jason Garrett in this matchup with the Giants? What do you think? I'm extremely nervous. Of course you are. I'm extremely you nervous for a That's why I had to bait you because I knew I'm, you. I'm extremely, <laughs> I'm extremely nervous for a couple of reasons. Reason number one is something that I've touted uh, for a very long time. Jason Garrett schemes extremely well against teams he's familiar with. The reason that even though the Cowboys were stunted, and I'll, I'll admit that they were stunted by his in-game coaching, and his lack of ability to change direction on the fly. The reason that they were able to go to the playoffs more often than not under Jason Garrett was because how well he did against NFC East opponents. The Cowboys owned Philly, New York, and Washington. And the concern is that the reason they owned them was because Jason Garrett, who, you know, Princeton graduate, very smart guy, when he has a chance to get familiar with an opponent, he is very good at scheming his way into points. Daniel Jones is not playing as horribly as we're used to. He is actually playing very good so far this year. I wouldn't call him a top 10 quarterback, but he's middle of the pack, 15 to 18, and you can win games with a quarterback that can perform at that level. We saw what happened yesterday against New Orleans. A lot of people got involved. Um, they got Saquon Barkley back involved in the pass game. That's going to be a major concern. It'll be interesting to see how the Cowboys deploy their defense, whether or not they try to put Michael Parsons on Saquon Barkley. Won't that be a great matchup to follow? Yes. But Jason Garrett has ways that he can scheme. And, and there's not going to be a team on his schedule that he knows better than the team he coached for 10 years. I'm nervous. The Cowboys have shown the ability to play with anybody and to boat race any inferior opponent. So it should be a situation where the Cowboys cover that six and a half points. But just like most games this year, I will be nervous until the Cowboys actually do it. And that's just kind of how I'm built. I'm going to be concerned until I see them up by 10, 12, 14, 18, 27 points against the Giants <laughs> this coming Sunday. But as you said, I, I mean, you weren't wrong when you predicted that the Giants were about to fall off the face of the map. They're scheduled. They play at Dallas, host the Rams, host the Panthers, at Kansas City, host the Raiders. They should lose all of those games. Yeah, they're screwed. And they should really be out of yeah, – and, and then they come out of their break and go at Tampa. So, yeah. really, by Thanksgiving, they should be out of the race completely. But as far as this game right now, of course I'm nervous because that's just how I'm built. That's who I am. No, no, I know, I know you're losing sleep over Jason Garrett. I had to check on you. It's only Monday uh, recording here, but you know, I know you, you're, yeah, you're, you're having nightmares about Kadarius Tony right now. He, he was invisible all of a sudden. Jason Garrett dials him up against the yeah. Saints. He's making plays all over the place. Look out, right? And so yeah, so it's it's a it's a tough one. This this line is tough. It really feels more like a seven point spread because on Tipico they're not giving you a fantastic price. For the six and a half, it's at minus 120. Whereas if you bet the giant side, it's mm. plus 100, even money. So it feels like there that six go. and a half is kind of a fake number. It's more like a seven. The Cowboys are really, they're, they're getting some love. The money line, minus 300. So the Cowboys definitely, uh, they're a big favorite of this ballgame. I don't know if I love the spread, though. I You know, I like the Cowboys to win the ballgame for sure, but... Uh, I just don't believe in the Giants. You know, they only scored 27 points like like they did last week against the Saints, Katie. They only scored 27 points twice last year, 27 or more. This is a team yeah. that notoriously has just not been able to score for whatever reason. And a lot of people in New York will blame Jason Garrett's play calling and getting conservative in the red zone or whatever. But they've just had their struggles. Maybe it's Daniel Jones, uh, but they've had their struggles. But I look at the total, 51 and a half. And... I do look at this a little bit like the Philly game we talked about. We're going up against a team where we're, we don't trust if they can score a lot of points, but 
51 and a half is too much for a Giants game. They don't score enough. And I think, you know, Cowboys get to 28 points. They're winning this ball game for sure. 28, 31 points for the Cowboys. I could easily see that. A run-heavy type of game. 51 and a half is way too high for me. I I might stay away from the spread because could the Giants lose by four or three? Yeah, I could see that. But 51 and a half, I think that number is way too high. We've been profiting, betting this Cowboys over. But I think when I look at the yep. Giants, they just don't score enough. 51 and a half is too high for a Giants game. I trust the Cowboys to score. I don't trust the Giants. So I like the under for multiple units. I actually love the under. This is one of my favorite bets of the week. 51 and a half, I'm going under. I'm of the mindset that the Cowboys will not take their foot off of the pedal against the Giants. And if they get to 28, they're going to want to push 40. So the question is, do I think that the Giants can score more than 14 points? And I kind of do. So I'm actually going to go ahead and believe in the over. I would not bet multiple units on it. I would maybe, <laughs> I might put a unit on it. I would probably stay away from the over-under in this game. Yeah. Um, I would probably stay away from the spread in this game because just that's how I'm nervous. But would I roll up the Cowboys' money line in a parlay? Damn right. Yeah. Yeah, the I Cowboys feel really good. Win yeah. this game. I feel good about them winning too. And I, yeah, so I would probably put them in a three-team parlay with somebody else that you feel really confident about this week. And just go ahead and look for your look for your uh, cash out that way. Um, that that's just kind of I don't feel great about it. Maybe later in the week, you know, because again we're recording on Monday, so we haven't heard much of anything as far as injuries and all of those things that develop throughout a week. So things can change by the time people are listening to this. Um, but right now, the way everything's set up, I would probably just roll the Cowboys, you know, with a straight up victory and go from there, and just save your money for another day or for another team. Yeah, you know, and I do feel good about the under, but don't listen to me because I put multiple units on the Tampa Bay Bucks to beat my Patriots on Sunday Night Football, Katie, and I lost some money, like a lot of people did, betting the freaking Bucks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so what do I know? You know, but I, I think I did find out that I'm more of a Patriots fan because once the game got going, I'm like, ah, oh, Brady, you look stupid in that jersey. Get out of here. What are you doing? And I was more of a well, Patriots fan, you, but I did had, lose. I lost some money. You, you had to. You had to declare your allegiance, and you weren't sure up until they got on the field. Was not other, sure who yeah. you were. No, I was not sure until the game started. I'm like, screw you, Brady. That that uniform looks ridiculous on you. That Bucks uniform. You know, it's just like that big Sunday night Foxborough rain, like Belichick, Brady, and then it's like, wait, Brady's on the wrong team. Uh, you know, it just felt like the old days. It felt like ten years ago. A uh, big game on Sunday night. See, Only the, Brady was wearing the stupid jersey, not the Patriots one. The the fun thing is that as much as you admire him, and everybody admires Tom Brady, of course, but especially fans of the Patriots, you guys have every right to. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. But now you see how easy it is not to like the dude. And that's what the rest <laughs> of the world has been going through for the last 20 years. It's very easy not to like Tom Brady. Like, if he wasn't as good as he is, like, nobody I – mean, I, I won't say nobody, but you can see why – so many people dislike Tom Brady. He's just kind of got that face that's easy to root against. <laughs> and then you're like, damn, well, he's the best quarterback that's ever walked the earth. But when you were presented with the opportunity to not like Tom Brady, you took it. Oh, I, I was trying to, I, like I said, I bet on the Bucks. I was all ready to back Brady in the game. Screw the Patriots. You know, they're not, they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. So why not? Uh, nope, nope. Once the game went on, I didn't care about, screw my bet. I'm like, <laughs> let's go. Once I saw Brady having a hard time. I'm like, here we go, baby. It's we're on. So yeah, I learned that I'm I'm still a Patriots fan. So that's good, Katie. Right, but um, I'm having a fun time watching the Cowboys. They continue to win. I like their chances against this this freaking Giants team. That's kind of a dumpster fire. Uh, so there it is. Right. Let's see if we can keep the good times rolling. Four in a row. Let's do it. I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> 
Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. We appreciate each and every one of you. We will talk to you next time. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.